1: Today on the podcast, I'm talking to retired Navy Jag Dan D'Alessio. Dan retired in 1998, which means he and I only overlapped by about four years. But Dan, welcome to the podcast.
0: It's my pleasure. Thanks again for the invite, Tom. It's nice talking to you and congratulations on your retirement.
1: Well, thanks, Dan. And for the audience, I did not know Dan on active duty, but last summer, I was talking to someone in Jacksonville about networking in the Jacksonville uh, area, Jacksonville, Florida, that is. And they said, you got to talk to Dan Delessio. So I talked to Dan, well-respected within the legal community in Jacksonville. Dan is the one that said, you know, you can come down here and get a job without taking the Florida bar, but I recommend it. So this is the man I credit or blame, depending on what part of the bar exam I was at. But it all worked out for the best, Dan.
0: Well, that, that was great. I had no no doubt at all that you would pass, but it's always a high anxiety period as you go through it. I remember I took the bar in 1996. I was the circuit military judge for the Southeast Judicial Circuit. And You have all the younger officers that really think you know something and you're supposed to be smart. And uh, some of them had passed the bar you know, here in Florida before they went on active duty. And I decided to take it two years before retirement when I thought I'd retire in case I had to take it a second time. I know the anxiety, no matter what your experience is and how well you did in your first bar exam or in law school. It's a lot of work, and it's really a great relief when you you get that letter that said you passed all three components and you could be admitted. So congratulations. That's a big achievement, Tom, for you.
1: Well, thanks, Dan. So it's 2023. You've been out of the JAG Corps for 25 years, which I was just looking at your LinkedIn profile which is about four more months than you were in the JAG Corps. So how does it feel at this stage, looking back, knowing that you've been out of the JAG Corps longer than you were in the JAG Corps?
0: Well, Tom, I think it's as you get older, as you probably are experiencing now, and me more so, I'll be 75 in January, that time just flies. And I did look at that about 10 or 11 months ago, and I saw that My gosh, my civilian experience in law is now equaling what my JAG experience was. But I would do it all over again. If I had a choice of knowing exactly what I know now, I would go through the same process. Uh, Getting into the JAG and getting into the Navy was uh, kind of fortuitous on my part. I didn't really plan everything as a youngster in college. And I don't know if you want to go into that, but I was in LaSalle University and I was pre-med major. I was expected to be a doctor or a dentist. My dad's a dentist. My uh, two, my mother's two brothers, my uncles were doctors and they were first generation born here, Italian Americans. And there was a big push for you know, education, it meant a lot to my grandparents. One was a tailor and the other two ran restaurants and they wanted their kids to, to achieve. So uh, being second generation, yeah, I think we're a little spoiled. And when I was at LaSalle my first year in pre-med, I was admitted I had a scholarship. And I didn't let my academics interfere with my social life for about a year and a half. And the uh, chair of the pre-med department, Dr. Haroy, was a good friend of my uncle, who's a doctor. And I had a visit with him. Actually, he asked me to visit him (laughs) and told me I needed to find another major. So I uh, went into psychology. And it just so happened there was a recruiter. at uh, I'm sorry, a friend of my family's was a Navy supply officer in the aviation field at Willow Grove. That was his reserve center. Dan Corey, great man said, Come on down, what do you like? I say? I think I like to be a pilot. I'm not sure what got into my head about that. And when I took the uh, test, there were different gradations you had. If you were a sophomore, that's when I took it, you could have you had to have a higher score to be eligible to get screened for flight being a pilot and a little lower score if you want to be a flight officer. So I took it and they detected I had some type of special dyslexia where um, if you would give me show me a a right triangle and turn it, I would think it was an isosceles triangle. It's way my mind computed based. So now I'm in a big three-dimensional you know, world, and they would give you a choices. if this gear goes block which direction will the last gear go? Well, obviously, law's a chance, 50%. I scored, I think, I remember this day, 32 percentile, right? So I thought, well, maybe aviation isn't for me. And the scary thing is I qualified for backseat, and had it been a junior, I would have been eligible to please go to try to make the cut to be a pilot. So I, I kind of felt bad. I really wanted to join. And then there was a recruiter at LaSalle for the ROC program, Surface Rock, and that was reserve officer candidate. That was kind of a special program. It was sort of a stash program. A lot of junior officers, Vietnam was still going on. And they wanted to, to fill the ranks with line officers. So you would join and you'd attach to a reserve unit. And between your junior and senior year, you would go to OCS for 10 weeks. And then when you finished and got your degree, you're eligible to go back to OCS for your next 10 weeks. And I always remember when I finished my first 10, I was so glad to go home, but then I had to sweat the rest of the year. i would have to go back, you know, and have to do it all over again. Between that time, we got a letter and basically said, you're not going to do your full four years of active duty. But we have these other programs. We have delay in active duty for psychology, master's, you'd have to go to Ames, Iowa, to Iowa State, or law. So I lived about 20 minutes from Villanova out in the Philadelphia area, and Villanova and Temple, I applied, they're the only two I applied to, because they would hold your seat if you were pulled up from reserve status to active duty. A lot of the other schools wouldn't do it. You'd have to almost start over. So I had Temple, and I went to LaSalle for four years, which is pretty close to Temple in the tough area of North Philadelphia, or the nice pristine area of Villanova, which is 20 minutes from the house, so I went to Villanova. Uh, the nice thing about it, I knew where my job was when I finished the uh, three years of law school. And so I went, uh, met my wife in May of um, my senior year, my last year of law school. We got married right after Naval Justice School, graduated on March 1st of the following year. And yeah. I thought I'd do three years, time. I went to Norfolk. I wanted to see if I could get back to Philadelphia because my wife was oldest of six kids. Her mom was widowed, really a homebody at that time. And... I thought, for her, let me see if we can get back and go on an extension. I was told by Bob Berkey, I remember, and Bob said he was my detailer. Dan, I'm sorry, we're not extending people right now. And we didn't have a TAP program, as you have talked about in your your podcast at that point. So I was kind of disappointed. But then I got a call, and he says, um, we've got a great deal for your career enhancing. How about going to Philadelphia at the Naval Support Activity? By happenstance, there's a fellow, John Ryan, who is a big, tall guy. From the Philadelphia Mills, so happened to be TAD to Norfolk when I came home. And I was like yourself, I was looking for jobs at that time at the Defense Personnel Support Center. My good friend from law school his dad was a general counsel there. And he was asking me if I'd like to work with them. So um, I'm thinking, I come back and I've got these little yellow notepad stickies on and said, call Bob, call Lieutenant Commander Berkeley, call Commander Berkeley, call Bob. Well, <laughs> at the same time, John sees me and I hadn't called Bob yet, but he says, hey, I understand you may be going to Philly to the Naval support activity. And John said, they asked me, and I would chain myself to the Admiral's ladder in protest if they made me go. And he was getting out. He only observed. So I called Bob, and he was, he was really right. It was kind of career enhancing. Nobody wanted the job. We had 400 people on legal status. And then I worked for the um, two hats. I was the judge uh, advocate for the CEO. And I was also the legal advisor to the office in, officer in charge of the transit support activity, <laughs> First activity which was the, basically all the AWOL guys that would yeah. be picked up in any 10 states They would come to Philly for processing. That let me know that, is this the worst I'm going to see? And I saw a lot of happy people in the JAG Corps and other jobs. I kind of like to see what's on the other side. So the, I put in for augmentation, was augmented when I was at the 4th Naval District as the assistant staff advocate. And then one tour led to another, and we liked it, and Denise started liking it. And we came here to Mayport uh, as the uh, CO initially, and then finally as the uh, retired after four years as a circuit military judge. So uh, that's how my career went. I, I didn't plan a lot. I didn't even plan to be a detailer, to be honest. And wow. I had it was uh, 05, come in the zone for 06, you know, at some point, like probably after the first yeah. year of the next tour. I wanted to go to litigation division. I love, love the courtroom. And I remember Rich Stewart said it looks like a good fix. Then he had to call me and he felt bad. He said, Dan, we kind of have an inside fill from somebody in the uh, Washington area. I said, OK, I totally understand what you have left. He said, let me look. And then Joe Scranton had to call at that point. And uh, Joe had took over, I think, from Rich at some point. I said, Joe, what's your job like? And he said, well, I don't, uh, Dan, you know, I hadn't considered you because you'll have to do the captain's board as a recorder and you're going to be up for captain. I said, Joe, you have a captain's board to finish this year. How are you going to do that? You're in the same zone. He says, my gosh, I hadn't thought about that. So uh, <laughs> what Joe did, he went to the admiral and said, look, why don't you have Dan do the commander boards? You know, it could, anybody could be a recorder. I mean, you have to be picked and uh, get some, You know, get the lieutenant detailer or lieutenant commander detailer to, to do it. And that's what we did. So that got me to JAG. And one of the reasons I got it, I was told because I didn't ask for it. <laughs> so uh, that, was, that sounds about right. Yeah, so, so I, that, that, that was good. That led me to the CEO of Legal Service Office in Mayport and then to the judiciary. I'd been on the bench before in work. So, so was, you
1: only did like four or five years in Mayport
0: before you retired? Right. No, I did. Uh, actually, I did seven. That was real okay. three as commanding officer and then four as judge.
1: And so you ended up just staying in the in the Mayport-Jacksonville
0: area? For the seven years, my last seven years. Of their time, that was uh, unusual. And I, again, nobody was knocking down the door to be the uh, circuit military judge down here for some reason. I thought it was a great job. I'd love to do it again too. So, what made you decide to stay there in retirement? Well, first of all, it's a well kept secret <laughs> here in the North Florida area. I'm from Philadelphia. I like a little change of weather, and you get that here. The uh, housing market was very good. I mean, I, I came from Washington, from Newport, and um, it was a detailer trip where normally they went to NAS Jacksonville as part of our three week tour as a teaching team teach a senior officer course around the all around the world so we had the east coast sock we called it and usually we went from we'd start out at jacksonville go to charleston and then up to norfolk and then back home to newport but well, one year they switched and did mayport and i really had to look where's me <laughs> you know what not think of it too much got down here and they put us up at the sea turtle Inn, which is now one ocean's a very high class hotel because the uh, oak club wasn't built up the three of us were there, we're right on the beach, and I started getting little housing books. I said, My God, you get all this house for this, you can be at the beach. I think it's affordable. So I always wanted to come back here. And I had been the CEO uh, the EXO, at Philadelphia for two years. John Henriksen, who went to I Law as the international law director, he left and they fleeted me up to CO for one year in Philly. I always wanted to go back to command. This was open, it was a good rotation. Came down here and I'll tell you, within six months, my kids said, we don't want to move anymore. You know, they loved it. The boys got into surfing. They just had a a great time. I have a house we paid under $67,000 for that. Wow! It was owned by John Dabrowski, one owner before. He was one owner before the person I bought. So we knew it was taken good care of and just has absolutely enjoyed it. There's no income tax down here. It's a very, it's a slower pace than I've been used to up in Northeast or in Washington. And uh, people were very nice, found me very comfortable, got very involved with the local community and the schools. So it really started putting down tethers, which became roots, you know, after a while. Yeah. And you've been to Whitey's Fish Camp, I'm sure. Yeah. My secretary, um, Kathy Kuhner, said we uh, had to go there and uh, been to Whitey and <laughs> all the, the local places that you can imagine. And uh, in fact, the first day we were down here, we, uh, I had didn't have to report till Monday and a Saturday went to SeaWorld. Come out of her car. I don't know where they picked us, but the uh, reporter was doing a, a report on why people come to SeaWorld, and they interviewed me. Wow! <laughs> so it was a, so I said maybe that that was um, you know uh, kind of portending what happened.
1: You know, now, was, Dan, it's been a while, but when you left active service, how did you focus? How did you approach your job search there in Jacksonville area?
0: Well, that's a great question. I think that's really the gravamen of this of, of your podcasts, which are excellent. I really love listening to them. I did a few things. First, you have to, you almost have to make a ledger. What do I think I want to do? Yeah. What do I know about what I think I want to do? You know, try to get that matched up first. Who do I know that can tell me about these things? What is the climate? What do they pay? You know, all these. So I started looking to that. First, I thought, well, a natural would be go with the state attorney's office or public defender's office or whatever, because the skills that I had, you know, in litigation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the pay they didn't pay very well at all and i've done that you know that type of thing so uh, and what i did tom i look i had i talked to steve gallagher who's a navy jag he went with a very good law firm marcus gray here he was doing medical negligence defense and, and other defense work so i had steve look at my resume and he says dan it says a lot of stuff but what do you want it doesn't tell me what you want here and then if somebody else I, I referred you to was was leader leaders and cheryl Quinn. And Cheryl's time, I met through through church and uh, Cheryl's in our choir, and they they're specialized in um, officers and senior enlisted in the Navy. They're transitioning, and to try to match them up, they do a lot in uh, pharmaceutical and sales and management and so on. But they took they took me and they helped me with interviews, you know how to how to interview, what what to watch for, how to dress and do all those type of things. So I was trying to get the trappings done first. For mm-hmm. And believe it or not, it wasn't through networking or anything else. I got my first job. I was reading the newspaper. That's when we had them. And they actually put ads in them. You know, back then, a position from the city of Jacksonville said juvenile justice, comprehensive strategy, program administrator, a JD or a PhD, criminology or or JD qualify. I said, well, I have one of those. And um, I applied because I love juvenile work. I did uh, juvenile practical at Villanova, and I was a teen court judge. I volunteered for teen court down here, as well. So I said, "Let me take a look at it." And Tom, it was one of the best things I did. It wasn't a true legal job, although I did a lot of grant work, where I had to review the grants and uh, draft the legislation through the with the uh, general counsel's office to get the appropriation for it, and learn how the city city worked. Got to meet a lot of people, and as I was. Working through this, we were a researched, science-based approach to reducing juvenile crime by identifying risk factors in the community. There was a team of about 40, 50 people in different committees that look at what Jacksonville has, which are risk factors for kids to get into juvenile crime, juvenile delinquency, and what are the protective factors we have. And the idea it was not to just load the truck up with money and spread around to anybody, but you had, to, if you wanted a program, you wanted a grant, you had to focus on those risk factors, show how you supported them and show best practices and blueprints. So I got into a lot of that and I liked it because I'm kind of database, you know, and making decisions. And it was a good thing to get into a network with a lot of people. You had to learn how to develop really good interpersonal relationships, how to put personal feelings aside, politics aside to, to get the mission done. What I found that helped me was when I went to work every day, and there was a, you could take a bell-shaped curve of life of employees, some just are there for the job, some really care, you know, others just, you know, let me do my job, leave me alone. I came to work as a day of duty, not just a day on the job. I try to keep that mindset. Some days it was hard, because things got, got difficult at times. So I worked, did that for about four years, and I got a call from Ray Breakout. Who had followed me in my job and he said, "Would you like to see if you come o- to come over to?" It was at that time it was called the J. Hillis Miller Health Center Self Insurance Program. They're a mix of lawyers, healthcare providers, risk managers that take care of a trust fund, which is the self insurance for various. The at that time it was the University of Florida College of Medicine, Dentistry, Veterinary, all the health sciences. Because fifty years ago. Everybody was leaving the state. When doctors were leaving the state. We're, we're a very litigious state here. I'm also licensed in Pennsylvania. They're not far behind. Us. So what the uh, legislature wanted to do is maintain medical education, health you know, healthcare education. So we don't take taxpayers' money, so we don't get appropriated funds. It's all, we run like an insurance company, you charge a premium. But we have a loss prevention rule as well, where you have to analyze every case, look at the uh, root cause analysis for it, and then try to change processes and so on. Well, I learned a lot of that in the Navy. You mentioned one of your podcasts, we feel like we're Jack Ball trays, but remember you mastered those things as you went in. Every one of them that you did, you had to master, or you get fired. Basically. You had to know what you're doing. They will come back to you. And anybody's listening to this thinks, well, geez, I don't think I'm ever going to do this or that again. Right. I went to the Army Jack School and I'm kind of we're streaming consciousness now. And I took had to take a whole year contract in appropriations and, excuse me and uh procurement. Well, happens I get to the Naval Justice School. After that, the building's almost burnt down, so we got a new jail. I was the contract person for it. The um, contractor didn't do very well. And we built a case with thought they should have been decertified. I believe they were afterwards, you know, for that. But I could have gotten in a lot of trouble had I not known things like a parent authority that you could really mess up a contract and have overruns by what you do, by not knowing it. When I got to the city of Jacksonville and I applied, I was kind of an outsider. A lot of insiders to the Department of Juvenile Justice over there. But my boss, who was key in hiring, was the basically the champion, as they call it, when we we're going for the Sterling Award for the city of Jacksonville's Quality Management Award. And I taught, I was one of the quality TQL instructors with the Navy. And when I mentioned that, I could see her saying, Yes, <laughs> <laughs> because she had a big burden. So I fit in very, very nicely there. That's something we had to do. You mastered it, right at that point. I may have been a jack of all trades when I got here, but that was one mastered event that I could apply directly, which really helped me. And I had a lot of credits, credibility when you when you do that.
1: So you've been with the the Jay Hills Hillis Miller Center for for a long time now, right?
0: Right, and just like the Navy, every couple of years we do something different. The way this program has developed, you had it established where one staff was running the program for both the University of Florida and the University of South Florida. They both had medical schools at that time. There was a proliferation of medical schools here over the last 15 years. So now you have Florida State, Florida International, Florida Atlantic University, and University of Central Florida, and UF. So we do five of them. We are the Jay Hills Mental Health Center University of Florida, but we are the third-party administrator, for lack of a better term. We do the staffing for all the others. So that role changed. So I started out as claims examiner with, with Ray. Ray was the associate director. Then I became the associate director for claims and litigation. And then we found out as we went along that the hospitals that we used, well, a lot of them were paying outside counsel for their slip and fall cases, their you know, non-patient liability, uh, non-patient uh, general liability cases, a fortune. And one of the council members from our council, the self-insurance program was sent over. Became the CEO of Shands, which was the now we call it University of Florida Health, which is the teaching hospital in Jacksonville. The one in Gainesville is now called UF Health Shands Jackson Shands uh, Hospital. So we have two big teaching hospitals. And Russ Armistead, was CEO, says, "Hey, you got lawyers here. Why can't they do this?" Right. I've been in a courtroom a lot when I was in, you know, in the Navy my early years. As a judge, I observed everything in the courtroom. You just about think of, you know, from the criminal aspect. But I, when I was at Villanova, I did the law practice in my third year. We were out of practice under supervision and so on. And we did consumer defense, consumer liability defense, and other things. So I said, we'd like to do that. And there was two of us that had an inkling one go back in the courtroom. So we did. And we established a litigation division now, which has grown. So I'm in that. And then when I was thinking of retiring, uh, Randy Jenkins said to me, he said, uh, you're not retiring now, are you? And I said, I'm not have my wife watches five kids. I'll be sitting there watching her, watching them five days a week. So uh, she's watching all the grandkids while their parents work. I said, no, i really like to. But uh, he says, well, I'd like to have you get more in the corporate counsel role. Okay. So here I took all that contract work in the Army JAG school. Yeah. A lot of transaction. I'm still in the courtroom. <laughs> I'm doing transactional work and the nice thing about it as of July 1st, I'm working four days a week, same page, it's less hour, you know, less, uh, I'm a 0.8 FTE instead of a full-time FTE. So I get Fridays off and it's uh, so life is good. So you
1: were referring to it earlier that Jacksonville is a, is a well-kept secret. It's a Navy town. So how is the Navy JAG fraternity in Jacksonville. I mean, I got exposed to a little bit of that when I was put in mm-hmm. touch with you. I got talked to Dan Bean. Right. And it seems like a pretty uh, collegial and tight environment down there.
0: It, it is. For a while, we're getting together about every quarter. Just go out to you. Ron Swanson, you may, you may know, us down here. Remember him? Yeah, He was a actually Ron, interesting career. Ron uh, retired as he was a CEO of Pensacola. He and I were judges together in Norfolk. We shared that chambers and uh, Ron became a state attorney and then a circuit court judge, and then he was appointed to the First District Court of Appeals, which is our first level, appeals court before the Supreme Court. Ron, Admiral Hudson would get together, Steve Gallagher. We've got others that are in this area as well. And one of the young fellas, well, he was young at the time, Bob Templeton, actually works for the hospital here. When I first met him, I said, "I, I know that name. Well, I remember going over the accessions, you know, with the accessions, Bob was there. He was uh, recruited when I was up at uh, Code 61 at that particular time. So there's a lot of them. The key is being able to have the community understand what you do in the JAG Corps. So uh, one of the advice I can give, you really have to civilianize your CV or your resume, whichever is requested, you know, by whoever is your prospective employer and really indicate Know what you do. For instance, if you're a uh, staff judge advocate, you put it down like it's a general counsel role. You Knowing you explain, and what's impressive with that when you start getting into areas of law that some general counsel don't get into when you're dealing with international, you know, uh, things that'll get their attention, I think. And that's what was recommended to me, so I would, uh, you know, definitely um, consider that if I were ready to transition to get your paperwork understandable you know, to your audience, you want to be?
1: You know, on that note, uh, you know, we, we have a tendency, I think, to be modest and to undersell our skills. And I'm speaking from experience and I discussing a possible job with someone, you know, and he starts milking the things that we've done. For example, you were talking about doing contracting work from the perspective of, if nothing else, the customer, if you will but you became involved with the contracting aspect of the justice school. And, and I was talking to somebody and I had the aspect there too of, I wasn't writing the contract. I wasn't the contracting official, yet I was the one that was defining the standards and then sort of on the ground with the contractors as they were doing the work. And I'm talking to the legal office in Europe and, and, and this person was saying, well, see, that's this and putting it into corporate speak which we oftentimes don't realize because we don't have that experience. We don't know the terminology. We don't know the vernacular on the outside.
0: And, and that's where if you can find somebody in the field that um, is a field you're applying to, is to run that by them. You know, if you can somebody say, hey, I'd like to talk to you. This is what I do. How would you characterize this? You know, what type of questions about this type of work that I do will translate to them so they understand that I have value, you know, to bring to this, you know, business entity or, you know, professional association. Wherever you're going to.
1: Now you got your first job answering a newspaper ad, yep. but it's completely changed, has it not? Now,
0: it, it, yeah, there's there's nothing in the newspaper anymore that you, <laughs> you know, that you can. Our local paper here used to be pretty good. He had all the local news and so on. now it's really USA Today, right? With a Which, few one or two local writers and Florida Times Union. There's hardly any staff, and and they don't advertise. People are using the the media and multimedia type of uh, channels to advertise. So you you have to know if you're, for instance, like if somebody said to me, you know what's open at UF Health, is there any general counsel officer or any contracts? We have a lawyers to do just contracting, you know, for the institution. I review the contract for the liability issues, right? So I have a specialty in that area. So I they'll, they'll do the negotiation, bring it to me. I look at it. But then we all as a team will look at it as a whole, you know, and say, this makes sense. Well, I would say, you know, we have a website and you can go on it and it's going to list you the jobs. And here's how you would, you know, here it assert If you go up to look for the particular type of position you want, you can do it like Google it or, um, you know, go to Indeed or go to some of the other services out there. Uh, the other thing you have to keep, keep an eye on is how things change with resumes and whether um, you have to do everything online. So, for instance, for a UF, you actually have to put your application in online, right? Yeah. And then they'll want you to tag your resume you know, to it and, and, and put it up there. And then that's going to be screened in a certain way. And it may get kicked out right away because you didn't read, which is another thing, the salient characteristics requirements. You didn't have the education level whatever. And a lot of people make a mistake with that. We get them. We hire people. And it'll go to HR, look at it, and they'll separate the ones that just don't qualify. Because if they take them in, and they'll take everybody that doesn't qualify, you have a problem. So they're going to put them out. So you got to be careful. And I I say, look at the characteristics or the requirements, the criteria. Make sure you qualify and emphasize that, you know, when you when you put it in. But there are touches, the old-fashioned way, I think, that help. Like after you do have an interview, I always send you know, uh, just, I didn't send an email. Okay. I sent an email. I said, it was enjoyable meeting you. Thank you. I fought over the letter. Now my handwriting is so bad. I would never handwrite it, but I would hand sign it, you know, you couldn't read my but I'd always do a short note and thank them because you never know when it's going to come around. Like for instance, when I first applied for the job that I had, I was not selected because they were looking more for somebody in the healthcare field. And and they ended up with a nurse who took the in pass but at least she had the legal background, nurse, and the person that interviewed me says, "Would you like to go to Gainesville?" We'll get a slot there. I think, and I, I wasn't going to move to that point. Yeah. So if anything else comes up, you know, let me know. And I told him that you made a good choice. You know, with if you're looking, if you you needed somebody with the medical experience to balance out the team, you did well. And I, I thank her. And about four months later, I got a call. You know, we got a job open in Jacksonville. Would you consider it? Then I was selected. So again. Don't quit if you don't get picked the first first time. Don't burn bridges. You know, keep the communications open. That helps.
1: So if someone was looking at coming to Jacksonville, you've already alluded to the the teaching hospitals. What other uh, industry or business is in
0: Jacksonville for people to hone in on focus? There are a lot. You have, gosh, uh, one of the big employers like CSX is down here, right? And they have a number of lawyers that are there. Now you do have a lot of law firms, you know, in the Jacksonville area. You know, now it's a very civil practice up here. If you want to go fast and furious with more pay, you may want to look at Broward County, Dade County, you know, the Miami, Boca area and so on. But it was like when I was in Philadelphia, Delaware County, and you had Philadelphia County. That's like Delaware County's North Florida civility and Philadelphia County <laughs> is more like South Florida doggy dog at time. No offense yeah. to anybody listening to this Miami area. You're great folks, but <laughs> it's a different practice down there. Sure. Okay. You have utilities. You've, you've got all the normal things you'd have in a fairly good-sized city. Now, we are in a city of a huge population. so about a million-some metropolitan area, but we're a huge landmass of people. You have all the insurance companies down the gate, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, and places like that that do a lot of, a lot of hiring. In the healthcare industry, you have Mayo, you have Ascension Health, you have Baptist Health up here. Now, Baptist Health, are different, separate types of corporations with the same name. But we have a Baptist Health up here in, in this part. And they have quite a few attorneys. So we deal with them a lot of times. And there are other jobs where you don't have to be an attorney, but you use your skill. Like, uh, Tom, I believe you, you like compliance work, for instance. Mm-hmm. All corporations up here, they've got. if you're large enough, you're going to have a compliance officer. A lot of times I like somebody has a law degree. Normally,
1: You know, Navy, you, you had it from the Army JAG school, but Navy JAGs don't do contracting and don't do acquisition work. So, you know, compliance and ethics are a couple of things. What other specialties have you seen Navy JAGs in particular, since we're talking about Jacksonville, besides litigation get into down there?
0: Well, those that go to law firms, okay, that want to to say, I want to practice law, and I want to practice in a certain field, whether it's, I want to practice do workers' comp cases, I want to do tort defense, I want to do, you know, plaintiff's work, a lot of jobs for there. And they're always advertised, like if you go through the Florida bar, you know, they'll have job listings of different missives that come out and say, here are jobs in Northeast Florida and so on. That's a way to look, and you may want to look at that to see what types of things the lawyers are doing in this area. Where are they going, and who's hiring? So that's that's another source I should have mentioned earlier. So I know with the Navy Jags, I know down here we've got them all over. We got some to do corporate, others that do you know into the the tort defense or, or plaintiffs work in that regard. Many are in the healthcare field because there's a lot of them, a lot of healthcare, and it's proliferating. UF Health now just bought Flagler Hospital. So we may grow, you know, to service that. And I'll probably service that of both our Gainesville and Jacksonville office. We may need more people, you know, to do that eventually. Other industries, you get the railroad. Uh, you have just about any industry you have in, in a city. Like if you went to Norfolk, Charleston, you know, places like that, whatever's there, you probably have here.
1: Yeah, I, you know, the CSX, my great-great-grandfather came over from Ireland, started with the B&O, His seven sons all worked on the railroad. Their sons worked on the railroad. And then some of their sons, including my father, worked on the railroad. I've been to the CSX headquarters down there as we went through and and seen it. And, you know, there's kind of a great idea of returning to the family business, albeit in a different role. I mean, I've actually had communications with the general counsel via LinkedIn, but nothing's developed yet there yet. But yeah, my wife just reminded me again today how she'd like to get down to the Jacksonville area. So uh there's a little bit of pressure there, which which again makes taking the the Florida bar before retirement look absolutely brilliant.
0: Yeah, it's I knew from my experience, if I waited till I was retired, it would be very difficult. You know how that bar is not easy. No. No, our bars, no. uh, I'm glad I got you the Jackson mummy from the um his his course we've been very successful or everybody recommended to including externs of mine that work for me. that were torn between, I think the big box store course, but I go to something where if I'm really busy and I'm working a job, how can I fit in this study in an organized way? And I know Jackson helped me a lot. My son, Ray Krikel took it and it started out from a young Lieutenant, Tom Wallace, who's down here. Right. So Tom, uh, Tom Wallace was uh, on a carrier, was in the, and he studied for the bar while he was on the carrier. Oh my gosh! And at that time, that course is now called Celebration Bar. It's not a plug, but it's. A, but if you want to go, talk to me about it, anybody's interested. Glad to talk to you about that course. You had three and a half inch discs, all right, and audio tapes. That's how we did it. And now it's all so you, It's the way you know how how you took it. <clears throat> but that was a that was a time saver. And I would say anybody's thinking that they want to retire in an area and they want to practice law, look at the rules. For instance, you know that a lot of our, our JAGs that came from the states that don't have reciprocity, but then get to D.C. They take the D.C. bar because they will take any as long as you're at that time, at least I don't think it's changed. If you practice law as a licensed attorney over so many years, you can waive in. Well, if you get into D.C. and you have the requisite number of years, you can waive, you can waive into Virginia. That's how it was works. So you had a pipeline, Navy Jackson, yeah. but Florida, no way. I mean, you're, yeah. they don't want snowbirds coming down, practicing law for six months and going away. They want a commitment.
1: Yeah. I got to say when I took it, it was uh Jackson does a great job of talking about how it was the Yankee go home exam and how they would put in stuff like the fish, wildlife and fishing com- uh, commission or whatnot, because that's in the constitution would trip you up with constitutional questions but I was really uh, surprised for my exam of how benign, if you will, the, the essay questions were for it. You know, almost like you didn't trust it because you thought, okay, this is too plain.
0: What am I missing? I found that the same way. I found the essay exams. I was, I was fortunate. I got topics. I had evidence, <laughs> family law, all the things I, I had done. And when, even the then when you get the MP, the uh, multi-state professional responsibility. They always put 10 questions on judicial ethics. So, I mean, there's a lot of, when you have practice a while, there are some advantages when you go through. But the hard part of the Florida bar is the Florida multiple choice because they're terrible questions. They're not not really designed very well.
1: No, they're not. And I, I walked out of the morning session after doing the three hours of essays and I felt really good. And then I went back in for the 100 Florida multiple choice and I walked out feeling pretty bad. And then
0: uh... uh exact same experience. The irony of it is my I scored 151 in the I don't know what the scoring is now, but that's pretty good, you know. But I thought I flunked it. I mean I just felt terrible after the multi-state. But I had a point higher in the multi-state than the SA. But I, I was surprised it just blew my socks off that I scored that in the multi-state because I was very depressed. But what they do with that exam is you know, uh, half the group is taking. The, the first the 100 questions you have in the morning, there's 50% that have another, the second half of the test for you. And then your first half is their second half. Right. And I remember coming in the morning and there was just something about the uh, questions I had. Funny story. I had like four or five D's in a row when I started out. And I said, oh, gosh, just kidding. And I started going back and trying to figure out. And I'm um, kicking myself. Dan, you know, Jackson said, don't do that. But I did it. Yeah. So now I, I had, by the half of the test, by 90 minutes, because we had three hours for the morning, I had done 40 questions. So I did the math. That means I'll finish 80 questions at this pace. I'm going to get 20 wrong automatically. But he gave you a methodology, and I won't go into it, to catch up. And I used it. I said, I'm going to put blind faith. I paid for this. course. I'm going to listen to what they said. And it got me through it. Now, in the second half, it had all things I was familiar with, you know, so it was a it was a different a different experience. But I still went home. I was at the Yankee Clipper and I was going to check out the next day. And I thought I'll go down, spend a couple hours at the beach and drive nice leisurely, leisurely drive home. I felt so bad. Four in the morning I got up and said, "Hell with it. I'm gonna go back home. <laughs> so I backed up with them, feeling miserable the whole way. So wow. uh but it's 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 I'm sure you had some pangs as as you went through it as well.
1: I did, but I went out, uh, got out of the uh, the convention hall there, and there's a little beachside bar. And I had a couple my ties there. and then i I jumped into Uber. And let's just say I didn't pass the bar at the airport,. And so those are the only bars I didn't pass, fortunately. Now, that was great advice. And uh, you know, I do have faith that everybody ends up somewhere. You know, you're an example where you did a job for four years. It doesn't have to be. The last job that you hold, and I think that is a mental leap that we all have to make coming out of the service where you sign up for the long haul and it's not easy to get out. But the idea of if you don't want to stick with a job that you don't have to, so I think that's going to be a, an interesting mind switch here.
0: And in my situation, there's a little bit of a, a slant to it that it was grant funded, you know, at the time it wasn't, I was not a, a city employee, I, you get paid by the city, but it's through the it block grant for the juvenile justice conference of strategy right so i knew four or five years i could have gone longer but i told my boss i said look i really want to get back to real legal practice about four years but i really want to work with you for the sterling award and i really want to do something good for, you know be part of the good that was being done in the city you know like we we established truancy programs with truancy centers we had to run and when you see results that when you did that after two years Daytime burglaries during school years went down 35% Jacksonville. So we're picking kids up I a bazillion stories. I won't, won't tell you, it was a, uh, picked up about 5,000 kids a year, but the recidivism rate was only about 3% for the, uh, kids leaving the school again. Wow. And you know, we, and then we had a, the schools weren't doing their part. They weren't taking role. they take role in the first class well, kids being kids. Okay. Boom. I'm out. And over at Fletcher High School, which is down here at the beach, and the beaches was a was a problem, truancy at that point, uh, skipping. The kids set up their own lounges underneath the the stands, you know, and they just chill out there for you know for the day. They go home, or the uh, seniors could get off campus, get lunch, they won't come back, but they were already checked in. So that also, you know, there was a lot of processes that were corrected. So for those four years, we saw some good results, and I felt good about that. But I wanted to go go back. I did put my hat into the ring for a judiciary position, you know, for county court judge that came up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was kind of a rude awakening that I followed the rules, you know, the, what he said. So I didn't get outside, ask people to call in or call people, or whatever. But apparently people were doing that, you know, and I didn't know everybody. So in that arena, it was tough to communicate what you did, you know, that would relate to what the bar expected you to do as a judge. I would say that I, I guess about a third were plaintiffs' lawyers, a third were defense, some public defenders, some um, state attorneys, they'll mix on the judicial nominee committee. And they would yeah. nominate so many words names up to the to the governor for selection. And when I went through that process, I didn't know anybody, but I was the only person who was a judge and had done any magic, because we had military magistrates too. We did all the, you know, the probable cause hearings for continuation of confinement and all that. So there was nobody in the group that had ever been in the judiciary that was in the group going up, but it didn't mean a lot. And you're only there for about a half an hour to try to convey how you can translate and be somebody like. Plus, they didn't know you. And here, Jacksonville, said, is very collegial, but everybody knows everybody. I'm an outsider. It's a real tough haul. But the irony was, I think the job, but I'm making a lot more than I would have had I done. Them always says, well, you've done that already. But you take that, you know, it's disappointed a little bit, but you you move on. And I knew I was going to be leaving the city. So then I started branching out for, for other things at the time.
1: Well, Dan, you're the great hope down there for us. And, you know, I know things are going to work out ultimately, but I wanted to give you, you know, an opportunity if you had any parting wisdom before we sign off here.
0: Yeah, I, I think I said one thing before, uh, when you approach your next journey, you know, into the world of employment, treat it as a, you're coming to work as a day of duty. People appreciate that. You know, you you really have some loyalty. Sometimes it's tough and you're you're not going to have, and also be aware that your rank and the way you're addressed in the military is not going to say what you're going to be addressed here. I'm going to want to call you by your first name, which is fine. To me, I'd get over that very, very easily, where you've been called Captain Skipper, sir, <laughs> all, all that time. Yeah. The second thing is that I found very helpful. Look at your age. So I was below 50. I was 49 when I retired from the Navy. Oh, wow. What I took from it, I thought to myself, I'm going to be working for people maybe 20 years younger than me, right? How do you do it? And I thought one of the experiences of the Navy is when I was at J.O., you know, who are our senior enlisted? They're 40s. Some yeah. years. And I really went back and I said, well, how would you know, Senior Chief for do this? Or how would Master Chief Quitch do this? You know, how would they approach it? If here's a younger guy and say I made a mistake, you know, are they gonna laugh behind the officer's back or are they gonna, you know, the good ones gently tell you, well, you know, let me tell you what I what I had learned on another in another case. Here's how somebody handled it. So I would approach it that way: that you are now not the jail in charge. The jail in charge is gonna be your boss. And look at yourself as the senior chief. Unless you're put up in a high and mighty position, you're probably going to work for younger people.
1: Yeah, it's it's an experience I had today. I interviewed with three people, clearly younger than me. It was a, a government job, I told you before, but they clearly did not have military experience. And I think one of the first questions they asked me was, hey, you noticed you had a lot of supervisory time and leadership time, but this is a job that doesn't, it's not a supervisory position. How do you feel about that? And that was one question. Told him honestly, I got a buddy who's a supervisory IT out in uh, out in California at the VA, and his white hair has gone gray now from that stuff. But um, you know, the, as somebody else said of being humble, of you know, you're the you're the new guy on the toe, and I conveyed that because I mean I don't know where it's going to go, but to tell them, hey, you know, I'm eager, and I understand I'm the new guy, and I don't know what I don't know. I try to convey that, and these are things that you just reinforced with what you said, but other people have said, and I think there's something to be to be gained by putting that out in the
0: open when you're interviewing. Yeah, ab- absolutely, and address it. Uh, they're going to be hesitant to talk about your age, obviously, for obvious reasons, right, you know, for legal reasons. But it, it's something you got to just expect. Yeah, really, it's not the number; it's the experience and where you've been, and how how you're going to take that and relate to other people. That may not have your breadth of experience, uh, may not have sometimes may not have your wisdom. You know, they're still yeah. gaining in their particular job. And will you respect them? Will you be able to follow their direction even if you disagree? Yeah. Passive aggressive. That's. I think that's a fair for some people. I, I think you need to dis- dispel that at the beginning.
1: Well, Dan, I appreciate your time and uh, your wisdom here and. um, You've said a couple times, "Hey, I know I'm just kind of rambling, but oftentimes it's those
0: rambles where the wisdom is passed. Well, my wife tells me that all the time, so I was trying to be she doesn't always re... she does doesn't always equate that to wisdom, but I thank you for that. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe and tell your friends. after the Jagcore is a TJW Fifty Associates LLC production.